Welcome to the GRF On The Go podcast. The subject matter experts at GRF CPAs and Advisors created this podcast to offer insights on current topics, as well as new ideas and best practices that your team can apply today. This podcast was originally presented as a live webinar. CPE information provided during the podcast is no longer valid, but if you're interested in watching the video version of this session or accessing the slide deck, visit our website at grfcpa.com forward slash events. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe for future content. Hello, I want to welcome everyone participating in today's webinar, Nonprofit and Cryptocurrencies, the Latest Accounting and Tax Landscape. My name is Sohna Al and I'm an audit associate here at GRF. I'll be today's session's moderator. Today, we are joined by Kathleen Miller, a senior manager in our nonprofit tax department, and Omid Mohebi, a manager in our audit division. Together, they hold over 25 years of experience in the nonprofit audit and tax sectors. Over the past few years, Omid and Kathleen have quickly become well served in the utilization of cryptocurrency in the nonprofit space. Shown here is the agenda for today's discussions. As you can see, we have a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. I'll now turn over the presentation over to Caitlin. Great, thank you, Sakna, for the introductions. Uh, welcome again, everyone. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. Um, you can see here our agenda for our session today. We just have an hour together and we have a lot of information to go over. Um, we're going to start off with what are cryptocurrencies and review some of the basics. We'll then get into specific issues that are relevant for nonprofit organizations, including gift acceptance and fundraising strategies. Omid is going to talk about accounting and auditing considerations. And then I'll wrap us up today with tax implications and information on accepting donations of crypto and filings you're going to want to be aware of to make sure that you stay in compliance. With that, I believe it brings us to our first polling question. Our first polling question is, has your organization received cryptocurrency yet? A, not yet. B, what is cryptocurrency? C, yes. D, we have been approached regarding receiving cryptocurrency. Please take a moment now to answer. While participants are submitting their answers, I'll provide the first CP words. The first CP words is cryptocurrency. If you want to receive CP credit, please jot these words down because you will need them for the survey following the webinar. Again, the first CP words is Cryptocurrency. Okay, great. Let's see. The results are coming in. It looks like 72% of attendees have not yet um, started to think about uh, receiving cryptocurrency. And that's uh, kind of on par with what I was expecting and what we've been seeing with our client base. I think some have started to accept crypto and others are kind of just starting to prepare to start accepting them. Um, so I think that's great for today. I think the info we'll go over will help you be aware of issues and understand kind of the best practices to implement for your organization.
Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, Sakna. Well, good morning, everyone. Yes, that was a really good um, view, uh, insight into the number of nonprofits out there who have already received cryptocurrency. So thank you for that input. Let's start off with a conversation, just an overview of what cryptocurrencies are. And we're not going to get too technical and throw lots of fancy words at you. We just want to give you an overview of what cryptocurrencies are and how the markets operate. So essentially, they are a virtual digital form of currency that can be used to purchase goods and services, just like any other currency, as long as the vendor, of course, accepts that particular form of cryptocurrency. They are traded on a digital marketplace, and they operate in uh, on networks using secure blockchain, blockchain technology. And you can think of blockchain technology as a, a group of uh, databases that are connected to each other, and they protect the integrity and the transparency of the transactions and data. Now, for the most part, cryptocurrency markets are decentralized and they are not subject to government and regulatory oversight. However, because of the volatility that we have seen in some crypto markets, there is increasing scrutiny from regulators here in the US and some European countries, and there, were, there are uh, moves to regulate the industry to some extent. Now you've all held, held, you have all heard of Bitcoin, of course, uh, and some other uh, another well-known form of cryptocurrency is Ethereum. But there are many, many other forms that uh, we're not going to talk about every single one on this webinar. And the process by which new cryptocurrencies are developed is a digital process called mining. And so this is just uh, a very computer-intensive process which. Uh, consumes a lot of energy, and we will talk about some of the environmental effects later on. What are the implications for nonprofits? Well, of course, nonprofits can accept and receive cryptocurrencies in the form of grants and contributions. They need to be aware of the accounting guidance, and we'll talk about that and uh, the implications for auditors and the selection of auditors, and also the tax implications, which my colleague Caitlin will talk about a little later on. What's clear, however, because of the guidance which is coming out from the FASB and the continuing guidance from the IRS, is that cryptocurrencies are here to stay. And these particular bodies have realized that there needs to be continued guidance about the appropriate treatment. And we're also going to look at the implications for overall business strategy for nonprofits in terms of your fundraising strategy, your acceptance of cryptocurrencies, whether you want to hold on to those or convert them to cash. So that's all coming up in later slides. Right, let's look at some basic facts. Now, the younger generation as a whole, and particularly millennials and Gen Zers, are very comfortable with using cryptocurrencies. They understand the terminology, they understand the technology, and they also think that cryptocurrencies are pretty cool because their parents don't know much about them. But of course, we're also seeing many large organizations increasingly make grants to nonprofits on a cryptocurrency basis. Now, the 2022 numbers, the final numbers for 2022 are not available yet. However, the total volume of donations to nonprofits through a leading third-party payment processor in 2021 was approximately $69 million. And that was about a 15-fold increase from the prior year. Now, of course, in the meantime, there's been some volatility and there have been some high-profile cases, which of, course, which of course are present in every market, such as equities and bond markets as well. 
but we expect the volume of grants and contributions in cryptocurrency form to increase to nonprofits and continue to increase over the next few years. There's some more facts. Three quarters of millennials consider themselves to be philanthropists, and that's compared to only 45% of the total population. So this allows nonprofits to tap into a much larger potential database. You keep your existing database, but you also attract a much wider and younger database of your a much wider and younger donor base. They're increasingly mainstream, so it's not just something that your teenage son or daughter or your college kids used to come home and speak about. You know, they are being used increasingly by major organizations to pay for goods and services and to make grants and contributions. Nonprofits, as we said, can, can decide whether to hold on to the crypto assets or whether to liquidate them to cash at the time of receipt. And we'll look at some of the options a little later on. And we've provided just a few examples of pretty well-known nonprofits who are already accepting cryptocurrencies. International Rescue Committee, Save the Children, No Kid Hungry, and the American Cancer Society. Now, we don't want to paint a picture that everything's rosy and there are no cons. So let's look at some of the pros and cons. The pros, as we said, of course, are that you're going to expand your potential data uh, donor base. Given the nature of cryptocurrencies and the fact that they're not subject to uh, centralized uh, government regulation, they are much more international in scope, and therefore it's much easier for individuals and corporations around the world to make donations and grants in the form of cryptocurrencies. And to some extent, it is very easy for nonprofits to set up through payment processors a system where they can accept cryptocurrencies and increase their donations. Let's look at the cons. Now, we talked about digital mining and those computer networks and transaction processing before. Well, of course, that uses a lot of energy. And of course, more energy consumption means negative effects on the environment, increased greenhouse gases, and an increased carbon footprint. And we'll talk about some of the initiatives later on which are helping in that area. Market volatility, as we said, which is one of the reasons that regulators are starting to pay more attention to the crypto markets. And of course, there's challenges with the exchanges and the technology and the terminology and the unregulated nature of the currency, which puts a lot of organizations off going anywhere near them. But we'll talk about that a little later on. Thank you. So what are the implications for nonprofits in terms of their fundraising strategy and their gift acceptance policy? Well, in a very similar manner to nonprofits which have a formal donated stock policy, if the nonprofit decides to accept cryptocurrencies, there needs to be a formal policy regarding that acceptance. And what does this policy have to include? Well, what kinds of cryptocurrencies are you going to accept? Are there, is there going to be a minimum, a maximum? Is there going to be a committee that... Uh, has to approve the receipt of the funds? Do you decide to hold on to the crypto assets or do you liquidate them to cash? And if you decide to liquidate them to cash, what, what method do you use? Do you use a third party payment processor? Do you use crypto exchanges? Do you use donor advice funds? So all of this has to be included in your formal cryptocurrency acceptance policy. Now, once you decide to accept cryptocurrency, of course, you can have the logo on your fundraising page, 
on your website so individuals can go on there and easily make that donation. And of course, you want to let your existing donors know that you have this new source of donations so that they can make that donation if they wish to. Now, for nonprofits that choose to liquidate cryptocurrency receipts to cash at the time of receipt, there are three main options about how to go about doing this. And those really depend mainly on the size of the nonprofit, its staffing capacity, the volume of expected cryptocurrency receipts, and the frequency of those receipts. The first option here is the use of an outsourced third-party payment processor. And there are a number of well-known uh, organizations out there, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, such as BitPay and the Giving Block, who work uh, with nonprofits. And these options are particularly beneficial for smaller nonprofits with limited staff, and they essentially make it much simpler for you. So the nonprofits receive the contributions, the third-party payment processor essentially liquidates those crypto receipts to cash or US dollars, and the funds are transferred to your bank account. Of course, the organization maintains a fee for the services that they're providing. So this is a very simplistic way of explaining the, the way the system and the process works. Now, the fees will vary depending on the frequency and the volume of contributions. But again, this is a really good solution for smaller nonprofits with limited staffing capacity. Let's look at the second option. The second option is suitable for larger nonprofits uh, who expect to receive much larger donations. And this is really uh, managing more of the process in-house and the use of a crypto exchange service. Now, a very well-known crypto exchange is Gemini. This particular option has its advantages and disadvantages. The advantages are that the costs are usually lower because you're doing a lot of the work internally. The disadvantages are that you need to have the staffing capacity, you need to train your staff on how to deal with these crypto exchanges, and also they need to understand a lot of the terminology. But again, there are fees to pay, and the fees will all depend on what is negotiated based on the size and the frequency of donations. And we're going to take a look at the third option as well. Option number three, donor advised funds. Fidelity has a very well-known crypto donor advised funds. Essentially what happens is that the donor will make a crypto contribution to the donor advised fund. They will express their preference about the, uh, the type of sector or the type of nonprofit where they want that contribution to go to. The donor advised funds will essentially make a grant out of that fund to particular nonprofits based on a donor or a group of donors' preferences. Now, the, the fees for this service are usually higher, so it's probably more suitable for certain nonprofits and where the expected volume of crypto grants and contributions is much higher. So again, the best option for a nonprofit depends on the size and the staffing of that nonprofit and the size and frequency of the expected grants and contributions. Now, let's look at something important, the environmental concerns, which are very well publicized when it comes to cryptocurrencies. These digital networks that we spoke about use a lot of energy, both during the creation of new cryptocurrencies and the operation of existing networks. Environmental effects are, of course, greenhouse gases, carbon footprints, 
and electronic waste. A lot of these computers are being used 24-7. So over time, there's going to be a lot of physical waste of those computers. The good news is there are a lot of uh, the industry is, is aware of these concerns, and they've taken some important steps to allay these concerns. One example is the Bitcoin Mining Council, which wants to be fully transparent about the energy consumption of the industry. And also the Crypto Climate Accord, which is an accord of more than 250 major players in the industry who have made a commitment to achieve net zero emissions by 2030. So these are certainly positive steps to meet those concerns about the environment. We have come to our second polling questions. What are your organization's main concerns in regards to receiving cryptocurrency as a donation? A, digital waste. B, volatility of cryptocurrency. C, tax and accounting treatments of the donation. Or D, all of the above. Please take a moment now to answer. While participants are submitting their answers, I'll provide the second CP words. The second CP words is donor, D-O-N-O-R. If you want to receive CP credit, please jot these words down because you need them for the survey following the webinar. Again, the second CP words is donor. Thank you, Sakna. Well, this is certainly very interesting. Um, volatility of cryptocurrencies, you know, we're not going to pretend that the markets are not volatile. And as we said, that's one of the reasons why there is increased scrutiny from regulators. The tax and accounting treatment, well, that's the main purpose of this webinar, uh, to give you an update on the current status of the, the tax and accounting treatment. Digital waste, it will always be uh, important. And most of you have said all of the above. So thank you for that. Okay, now we are going to talk to you about the accounting and auditing guidance. So the FASB is very close to providing a proposed accounting standard update, or is what we refer to as ASU, regarding the accounting, the disclosure, the presentation, and so on of crypto assets. And the objective is to improve the accounting for and the disclosure of certain crypto assets. Now, they expect to issue this proposed ASU by the end of March. There will then be a 75-day comment period where stakeholders and the public can comment on the proposal. The FASB will then take those comments into account, and then the final standard will be issued whenever they're ready. Let's quickly give you some background. Uh, there have been a number of meetings that the FASB board has had. Let's uh, look at the one in May 2022. They added it, this particular project to their technical agenda in December of 22. They discussed how entities should disclose crypto assets. So we're going to look at disclosure, presentation, and measurement. So that's when they decided how entities should disclose crypto assets in their financial statements. And they did confirm at that time that the proposed treatment will be that the disclosure should be consistent with topic 820, fair value measurement, which many of you are already familiar with if you have investments 
on your statement of financial position, you're familiar with topic A20, fair value measurement. Let's continue with the update regarding the proposed disclosures. They also have said that the entity is required to disclose the name of the crypto assets that they hold, the fair value at year end, units held, and the cost basis. And they also expect to see in the disclosures a reconciliation of activities between the beginning and ending balances for that reporting period. So dispositions, acquisitions, and gains and losses. Continuing with the disclosures, they would like to see for any disposals of CRISPR assets during the period, the difference between the sell price and the cost basis of those assets. So essentially the realized gain or loss for that disposal. And for any crypto assets that are subject to restrictions, there should be disclosure of what the remaining duration of that restriction is, what the nature of that restriction is, and what are the circumstances which would cause a lapse in that restriction. And they have stated that the disclosure requirements would be required for all entities, public and private entities, of course, including nonprofits. Right, let's look at some of the presentation proposals that are being made. Again, the presentation requirements will apply to all entities. They have said that crypto assets that are received during the ordinary course of business and are converted to cash immediately or almost immediately have to be shown as operating cash flows on the statement of, uh, on the statement of cash flows. Furthermore, nonprofit entities should continue to follow the guidance under topic 958, and they expect to make some tweaks as necessary to topic 958 that would incorporate the inclusion of crypto assets. Right, let's look at measurement. There's a requirement to measure crypto assets at fair value. Again, topic 820, fair value measurement. And they've also said that particular expenses which are incurred in the acquisition of crypto assets, such as commissions, can be expensed during that period. What are the latest regarding what is the latest regarding the adoption and the effective date of the ASU? So they decided just last month that early, early adoption of the ASU will be permitted and is very similar fashion to many accounting standard updates. There will be a cumulative effect adjustment to net assets in the statement of financial position at the beginning of the first annual period in which the guidance is adopted. So many of you will be familiar with that adjustment with respect to the adoption of other accounting standard updates. All entities will be subject to the same effective date and transition requirements. And the actual effective date will be decided upon when the final accounting standards update is issued. So again, looking at the timeline, they expect the proposed ASU to come out around the end of March. Uh, again, of course, all decisions are tentative until the final ASU is issued. There will be a 75-day public comment period. The FASB will take those comments on board. There will be deliberations. And finally, the final standard will be issued. Now, prior to the FASB project, starting in 2020, the AICP and SEMA set up a joint working group 
called the accounting and auditing of digital assets. And that was because there really was no guidance. So they wanted to come out with some kind of guidance to help organizations know what to do. We know how to account for these assets and uh, what are the auditing implications. Of course, the guidance was non-authoritative, but it was very useful for the, uh, for, the for the time before the FASB project came on board. Of course, both respect to the FASB and the AICPA, the guidance is very fast evolving given the nature of the industry so that we expect the guidance to be updated over time. <clears throat> Let's look at some of the implications with respect to auditors. Of course, the nonprofits have to decide and evaluate the skill set of their auditor if they choose to accept cryptocurrencies. Does the auditor have the knowledge to understand what cryptocurrencies are, how the exchanges work, uh, what is the correct accounting treatment, and so on. There, were, there may also be compliance and independence risks, independent risks, particularly if a member of the audit team has significant holdings of a particular crypto asset, which may impair their independence with respect to auditing a particular nonprofit. Now, we expect the, the professional, professional standards as they apply to auditors to evolve over time to include the additional skill sets and the competence requirements that are needed as part of auditing cryptocurrencies. And therefore, the auditors should make sure that they gain the sufficient understanding of the entity. They incorporate any issues that need to be incorporated into their risk assessment as part of the audit. What are the implications of management and governance? Of course, management needs to decide, A, whether they want to accept cryptocurrencies. If they do, they need to update their internal controls. They need to revis revisit their financial policies and procedures and make sure that those are updated accordingly. If they use a third-party service provider, they need to gain an understanding of the internal controls of that third party and obtain SOC reports where they are available. There also needs to be oversight by governance. It's not just about management. The governance, the board of directors needs to understand what the new policies are, what are the implications for the nonprofit, and what are the implications for the long-term business strategy. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to my colleague, Caitlin, who's going to talk about the tax treatment. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Omid. Um, I'm going to wrap us up today with some tax considerations. So once we have all of the policies and procedures in place and we have a game plan for how we're going to start accepting crypto, um, what do we need to do to stay in compliance once we actually receive the crypto donations and what we do with them from there? Um, so we'll go over uh, donations of crypto generally, where we are with the current IRS guidance, how to accept crypto, um, including handling of the 8283 and 8282 forms. Um, and then we'll talk about how to report and dispose of crypto um, following the donation. So first, as a little background, we'll get started going over the guidance that we have on how to handle crypto for tax purposes. Um, so the official IRS guidance was first provided back in 2014 in Notice 2014-21, IRS Virtual Currency Guidance. Um, and this describes the application of certain federal income tax principles to transactions in convertible virtual currencies or crypto. 
Um, the main takeaway from this notice was that it concluded that virtual currency should be treated as property for federal income tax purposes, and that the same general tax principles that apply to property transactions um, apply to transactions using convertible virtual currencies. So among other considerations, this means that um, the fair market value of crypto paid to employees as wages would be subject to federal income tax withholding and reported on a W-2. I saw there was a question in the chat about using crypto as payment for services. Um, payments of crypto made to independent contractors are taxable and reported on Form 1099. Um, and just generally, taxpayers are required to determine the fair market value of the virtual currencies in US dollars as of the date of payment or receipt. Um, the notice does provide that a virtual currency listed on certain exchanges can be converted into US dollars in a reasonable manner that's consistently applied. Um, however, further guidance, of course, would be helpful here. Subsequently, um, the next set of guidance that we received from the IRS was in October of 2019. The IRS issued Revenue Ruling 2019-24, um, which considered cryptocurrency events. So along with the release of this revenue ruling, the IRS provided answers to about 45 or so um, frequently asked questions, which it posted on its website to expand upon examples that are provided in the notice. The FAQs are intended to address virtual currency transactions for taxpayers who are holding virtual currency as a capital asset. It talks about things like fundamental capital gain and loss questions, property exchanges involving virtual currency, compensation and service-related issues, gifts and charitable donations of virtual currency, and reporting and record-keeping. I have a link to the FAQ later, um, I believe on my last slide, talking about the tax implications. Um, it, I think it's a very helpful resource to look to um, if, if you need particular guidance to kind of point you in the right direction. And then um, most recently, uh, in a January 2023 Chief Counsel Advice Memorandum, the IRS provided a non-taxpayer-specific determination on how taxpayers should substantiate the value of crypto donations over $5,000 for purposes of the charitable deduction. So the key takeaway here was that a qualified appraisal of the crypto is going to be required um, it clarified that crypto does not fit into any of the other statutory exceptions for that appraisal requirement. Um, there's exceptions for things such as cash and publicly traded securities, uh, but this clarified that crypto is not going to be accepted from that appraisal. Um, the IRS also clarified that taxpayers cannot substitute values reported by crypto exchanges for a qualified appraisal. So if a taxpayer uh, is going to try to claim a charitable contribution deduction on form 8283, but relies on the exchange reported values in lieu of a qualified appraisal, um, the, the deduction would be denied. Um, so I'll get more into the qualified appraisal at a later time, but um, this, this is wrapping up our most recent guidance. Um, so just very generally, um, accepting donations of crypto, um, IRC Section 170 generally allows deductions for charitable contributions made in the taxable year that the contributions are made. 
Um, deduction may be denied if the taxpayer does not meet certain substantiation requirements, which we will review in a little bit. And then, of course, additional requirements for contributions of property, um, which include forms 8282 and 8283, which we will review shortly. Um, so first, let's get into the donor acknowledgement responsibilities for accepting Bitcoin and similar uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, I have three thresholds kind of outlined on this slide, depending on how much the donation is. Um, the first one will just be uh, for 250. So for a donor to properly claim a tax deduction of 250 or more for a donation of virtual currency, the nonprofit must provide the donor with contemporaneous written acknowledgement. So that's that standard thank you letter that we're all used to. Once you hit 500 for a donor to properly claim a tax deduction of more than 500 for a donation of virtual currency, the donor is going to have to complete form 8383, which is the non-cash charitable contribution filing uh, section A. I wanna highlight here that this is the donor's responsibility. Um, for them to attach to their individual income tax return to claim that deduction. Once the donation of cryptocurrency or, or any property hits uh, $5,000, for the donor to properly claim that deduction of virtual currency, uh, the donor has to obtain that qualified appraisal that I mentioned earlier, and um, they also have to now present the form to the organization for signature. So the 8283 is going to require that qualified appraisal for property over 5000 Again, it's accepted for donations of cash, inventory, or property held uh, primarily for the sale of customers in the uh, ordinary course of trade or business. Uh, publicly traded securities are also accepted from that rule. Um, and then when they receive the 8283 for signature, um, the organization's signature represents acknowledgement of receipt of the virtual currency on the date that's specified on the form um, and that the organization understands reporting requirements uh, for disposition of the property. Um, but I just wanted to highlight that it does not represent the organization's agreement with the appraised value reported uh, for the property on that filing. A little bit more about the qualified appraisal requirement, um, which I've been highlighting here. Um, an appraisal can only be qualified if it's conducted by a qualified appraiser in accordance with generally accepted appraisal standards. Um, I've outlined them here, but to be qualified, an appraiser must be an individual, have earned an appraisal designation from a recognized professional appraiser organization, or meet minimum education and experience requirements set by the Treasury and IRS, and regularly perform appraisals for which he or she receives compensation. Um, so this, this really could present additional hurdles for donors that would not ordinarily apply to donations of publicly traded securities. Um, to my knowledge, I don't know if there's anyone out there with standards that would allow this to, ha to happen in relation to crypto certification. So it could possibly be inhibiting receipt of crypto directly by charities. Um, the guidance was issued not long ago. Uh, one of the reasons may have been issued is to get Congress to try and act to change the rules when we have uh, readily available fair market va value estimates available online where we wouldn't need an appraisal. Um, this would probably require a legislative fix. Um, so we'll see what happens with this uh, qualified appraisal requirement going forward, but this is, this is what we have for now. 
Um, Omid mentioned one of the options would be to use um, a fundraising platform to accept donations of cryptocurrency. Um, I, I put up a couple of questions here just to make sure that the nonprofit uh, is comfortable in its relationship with selecting the fundraising platform if you decide to go that route. Um, one of the first might be if the organization is registered as a professional fundraiser. Um, just as an aside, many fundraising platforms take the position that they're not professional fundraisers, but this will be a state-by-state -state, um, issue. Uh, so you want to make sure that the platform has at least done that evaluation so that you can make sure that you are remaining in compliance. Um, another question that you should probably talk to them about is if they accept anonymous donations. Um, and whether the donations would be anonymous to the platform or if maybe they would know who the donor is and then they would pass on anonymously to the nonprofit. Um, if, if the donation is truly anonymous to the platform, are they somehow um, vetting that the anonymous donations aren't connected with illicit activity? And that could be they're not. There, there might be nothing that they can do, um, but the nonprofit should consider if they're comfortable with the risks of accepting those anonymous donations. Um, other questions to clarify are just, um, you know, the, the paperwork. Are you filing the donation receipts or are we? Are you filling out the 8282 or does the nonprofit? Will they send us a donor list? Um, of course, one of the main tasks in fundraising is issuing those receipts to donors. So you want to make sure that you're aware of who's handling what and what you would be responsible for and what the platform is going to be responsible for. It's not a one size fits all. A lot of the different platforms handle things differently. Um, so I just thought these would be good questions to go over to make sure uh, they're, they're re remaining in compliance. Um, so you've accepted crypto. Uh, now, uh, if you decide if you want to sell the cryptocurrency versus hold it, I thought we could go over some of the tax implications for a sale of cryptocurrency. Um, so the sale of property is a realization event. Uh, gain loss recognized is going to be the fair market value of the property minus your basis in the property. Um, sales resulting in gains are generally not going to be subject to UBIT, to unrelated business income tax. Of course, unless the investment is somehow structured with debt financing, um, but typically the sale is not going to trigger uh, UBIT. If the organization does decide to sell, exchange, or otherwise dispose of any of the donated virtual currency within three years of the date of receipt, um, there's an additional filing that will be required. It's the form 8282, which is the donee information return. And that form gets filed with the IRS um, and a copy of it is also provided back to the original donor of the property. Um, and that again would be triggered uh, in situations where the organization might sell or exchange the vir virtual currency for real currency. I did throw up a consideration on here uh, regarding the impact on the 1120 POL. Um, so for organizations who have political expenditures, um, the basis in donated appreci appreciated property is the donor's adjusted basis. So sale of that property could potentially result in a large gain for purposes of calculating taxable investment income on the 1120 POL. So something to be aware of there if you have political expenditures as well. Um, and then a couple of very brief considerations specific to private foundations relating to crypto. 
um, it's going to be a similar, the first one I have up here is similar to the 1120 POL consideration. It'll be the impact on the investment income excise tax. So again, the basis in that donated appreciated property would be the donor's adjusted basis. So again, the sale of that property could potentially result in a large gain for calculating taxable investment income on the 990 PF for those private foundations. Um, and then a couple of things to note on the impact of the minimum distribution requirement. The regulations provide methodologies for valuing cash, which is done on a monthly basis, and publicly traded securities, which is again done on a monthly basis. Um, other assets are generally to be valued annually. So the question is kind of where does crypto fit in? Uh, we think that monthly valuation would probably be preferred and it's a reasonable position because you know, they're regularly traded on exchanges where market quotes are um, available, easy to look up in US dollars. So we think that monthly valuation would be preferred. Um, if you did it on an annual basis, it could potentially have extreme impacts on the minimum distribution requirement. For example, if the value skyrockets, um, you know, it could cause the private foundation to sell the cryptocurrency assets potentially at a loss just so that they could satisfy the distribution of other liquid assets um, that aren't available. Um, I did want to talk about uh, the Form 990 reporting if you have received donations of cryptocurrency. So the first would be part eight, the statement of revenue line 1G is the line where non-cash contributions are reported. So you would report the fair market value of the property donations along with other maybe stock donations or non-cash goods that you would have received there. If the organization has a sale of cryptocurrency, it would be reported on part eight, statement of revenue line seven, uh, sales of assets of other than inventory, uh, it would show uh, similarly in column two to how you would do a realized gain on a stock donation, but it would show as an other, other asset. Uh, part 10, balance sheet, line 14, intangible assets. This is the line you would uh, report it on your balance sheet if you were still holding crypto as of the end of the year. Uh, and then, of course, Schedule B considerations, which is the schedule of contributors. Uh, if, if anyone meets the threshold for the su substantial contribution uh, that your organization has to report on here, they would have to re report it as a non-cash donation. Um, of course, if it came anonymously, the rule is if it's truly anonymous to you, you can put anonymous. But if there's any way for you to know who the donor is, um, you do have to disclose it on there. So that's a consideration. And then lastly would be Schedule M, which is the schedule for non-cash contributions. And this schedule is triggered if you had $25,000 or more of non-cash contributions throughout the year. So that would include the property donations of cryptocurrency. I did want to point out that there is a question on Schedule M asking for the number of forms 8283 received by the organization during the tax year. Um, for which you had to complete that part five, the donee acknowledgement. Um, so that would have been for those donations over 5K when the donor sent you the 8283 for your signature and acknowledgement. They just want a count of the forms that you filed there. 
Um, and then lastly, um, there have been a few questions floating if um, holding crypto would trigger uh, a FinCEN reporting for the FBAR report of foreign bank accounts. Um, I threw the definition of FinCEN's uh, currency up there. And according to FinCEN, virtual currency does not meet the definition of currency uh, in the FinCEN regulations because it doesn't have all of the attributes. So for now, uh, it appears that the FinCEN is not triggered by uh, holding cryptocurrency. And I did throw up, um, there's the link that I mentioned earlier to the FAQ. I, just, I think it's a helpful resource to, to get started on exploring these transactions. We have come to our third polling questions. What are the tax compliances your organization is concerned about in regards to accepting cryptocurrency? A, handling form 8283. 8282. B, 1120 POL excise tax. C, 990 PF investment income tax. Or D, all of the above. Please take a moment now to answer. While participants are submitting their answers, I'll provide your third CP words. The third CP words is income. If you want to receive CP credit, please jot these words down because you will need them for the survey following the webinar. Again, the third CP words is income. Let's see. Oh, okay, almost everyone picked all of the above, um, which, which isn't surprising. I mean, there's a lot of complexities to um, the cryptocurrency and it's all um, relatively new. So just making sure you have a handle on it. So um, it, we're, we're worried about handling the 8283 and 8282 forms. Um, just make sure you have a handle on, you know, who's responsible for what if you are using that, you know, fundraising platform such as the giving block or, or something similar, make sure you understand who's being responsible for what you don't want to miss one of those filings. Um, the, and remember the 8283 is the responsibility of the donor. Um, only one response for 1120 PL excise tax and a couple of responses for the PF investment income tax. Um, so not necessarily barriers to accepting the donations, but just things to be aware of to make sure that you stay in compliance. Well, thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, thank you Sokna. Let's uh, give a summary of the key takeaways from today's webinar. So we gave a brief description of what cryptocurrencies are and how the markets operate. We described pros and cons of accepting cryptocurrencies, whether or not they're liquidated to cash. We'd, we talked about some of the tax implications and also why specific groups of donors are motivated to donate cryptocurrencies. Of course, as mentioned, both on the accounting side, the auditing side, and the tax side, these are all fast evolving areas and we expect them to continue to evolve over the next few years given the nature of the currency. Our advice to nonprofits will be, be prepared. This is not gonna go away. Yes, there's been volatility in the markets, but we expect grants and contributions to nonprofits to continue to increase. So don't wait. And um, we do know of cases where, you know, out of the blue, a grantor turns up and wants to give a significant crypto grant or say a, a contributor wants to give a significant crypto contribution. So don't wait. Uh, 
prepare, have a gift acceptance policy, a crypto gift, crypto gift acceptance policy, and be ready. That way you won't lose out. You won't turn a potential donor away because you don't have the right systems in place. Be aware of the applicable accounting guidance. Make sure that your auditor is qualified and has the competence to conduct the audit if you do accept cryptocurrencies. Make sure you have a formal crypto gift acceptance policy and you review and update it on a regular basis, just in the same way that you would review and update every single policy that your organization has. And of course, be aware of all the tax implications that Caitlin just referred to. And I think now we can go through some uh, questions. I'm just looking at the chat, some of the questions that came up in the chat, first of all. First of all, someone asked, what is a SOC report? We did mention the SOC report, particularly with respect to those third party um, third parties, and we said that you should have a good understanding of their controls and their obtain their SOC reports. SOC essentially stands for Service Organization Controls. So a SOC report would be a report that gives you, it's just to give you a simple definition, a report that gives you a description of the processes and the controls that these particular third parties have and so on. So it's just for you to gain a good understanding of what those systems and controls are. Caitlin, did you want to uh, take a question? Yeah, I think one of the questions that came to me about the using it as payment, hopefully that was uh, that was clear from the slides. Um, another question that came through was asking about using the giving block to accept crypto. Who's handling 8283 forms or are we? Um, so again, all of the different fundraising platforms and, and the giving block is just one example of one of those that are available to nonprofits are going to have different uh, policies and procedures. It's going to depend who the legal donor is of, of those cryptocurrencies. Um, so for example, for a donor advised fund, you know, they're clearly the legal donor. They're going to be handling all of those filings. Um, it's not a one size fits all for the for the fundraising platforms. I believe Giving Block uh, does have an option to handle the forms, but that would be something that you should confirm, you know, directly with whoever the the, the provider is that you choose to work to work with. Excuse me. There's a question, Omid, about um, if there's a sample gift acceptance policy that GRF has. Yes, we do have a sample gift acceptance policy, and when we gave our initial initial webinar uh, just under two years ago, we did uh, send that sample gift acceptance policy to anyone who wanted a copy, and we're, of course, going to update that given the latest guidance, and so uh, if anyone would like a copy, please get in touch with us. And Caitlin, I have a question that has come through here on the private chat. What if we receive a donation of crypto over $500, but the donor didn't provide form 8283? Oh, okay, great. So the 8283 form is purely the donor's responsibility. So that's something that they would have to attach to their tax return to substantiate their charitable deduction. So if they don't send it to you, uh, that's not really on you as an organization. Um, that's something that they're responsible for as the donor. Thanks, Caitlin. And here's another one. If the donor is anonymous, how do we fill out form 8282? 
Okay, good question. So the 8282 is if you dispose of the uh, property within three years uh, and you had originally received the 8283. There's a there's a filing on there that says name of organization or name of donor. Uh, if you don't know who the donor is, you can write anonymous there. Uh, again, truly, if it's anonymous to you, not just to preserve the anonymity of the donor. Um, and then fill out as much as you can on that form and send it to the IRS. You don't want just because it's anonymous that to prohibit you from filing it with the IRS. Obviously, you can't send a copy to the donor if they're anonymous to you, but that would be my advice for an anonymous donation. Thanks, Caitlin. There's another question that's come through the private chat. Can GRF recommend a certain platform over another? Uh, no, it's a question. <laughs> we have, as auditors, we have to maintain our independence and we're not. We're never going to recommend a, a certain platform, whether that's a third party payment processor, whether it's an exchange or whether it's a donor advice fund. So we we, we would like to think that we you know, our guidance gives the benefits, the pros and cons of using uh, each of those particular options and uh, whether uh, and whether they're the most suitable option for a particular nonprofit given its size. But we're not able to give a recommendation regarding a particular platform. Of course, if a nonprofit wishes to choose a certain method of receiving cryptocurrency grants and contributions, there are plenty of resources online that you can Google, and uh, you're, I'm sure it will be just a matter of minutes before you can find the, the main players in the market. And then, of course, you can do your own research and make a judgment appropriately. And, Caitlin, here's another question. Um, I think this might be related to the one that you responded to before. If we are using the giving block to accept crypto don donations for us, are they handling the 8283 forms or do we? I, I believe you answered that, but perhaps- Oh yeah, we went over that one. Yeah. Okay, let's see if there's any other questions coming through the chat. Are you seeing crypto donations are primarily coming from individuals? My organization only receives donations from corporations and other nonprofits, which seem less likely to provide a crypto donation, but interested in your thoughts. Yes. So depending on the platform that the nonprofit is using, we are seeing individuals make crypto contributions as well, particularly some younger, as we said, it's particularly attractive among the younger generation who increasingly see themselves in, as philanthropic. They are donating uh, cryptos in smaller amounts to causes which they feel uh, very close to. A lot of them are environmental causes and uh, causes to do with homelessness and uh, the sort of the poverty within society. But we are certainly seeing a lot of uh, individual contributions coming in for smaller amounts. Yeah, I would have said the same thing. I think that I've mostly seen it coming from individuals uh, for the reasons that you just went over. Um, and I think what's typically happening is that the nonprofit receiving it is liquidating it almost immediately uh, for cash just because of that volatility in the market. Uh, versus holding on to it as an investment. So I think uh, I'm mostly seeing it come from individuals. Thanks, Caitlin. And there's another question here. Let me just take a look regarding the 1099. You really just touched on issuing a 1099, but I'm more interested in the internal control guidance uh, accounting for crypto help for the purpose of payment. Is there more you can say about the 1099 that's of relevance here? 
Uh, I think the only thing I would would reiterate is that it, you'll be reporting the fair market value of the of the crypto of the property that you're using to transfer for the the service uh, as of the date of payment. I, I hope that helps answer that question. Thank you, Kaylin. Thank you, everyone. We're going to hand it back to Sokna for the closing words. Thank you, Ami. Thank you, Kathleen, for this insightful presentation. With that, we would like to thank everyone for attending today's discussions. We encourage you to follow us on social media at GRF CPAs and visit our website at www.grf.com for any upcoming events and alert. Thank you again and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the GRF on the Co podcast. Visit our website at grfcpa.com for more information about the services we provide, the industries we serve, or to request a quote.